Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange, NatWest Market Podcast. We try to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets in this week and for the weeks ahead. Today, I am joined by our co-UA head of uh, G10 FX strategy, Brian Dangerfield, who's based over in New York. Um, risk sentiment continues to recover um, after all those concerns about the banking sector. We've obviously had, you know, signs of concern from the Fed. Ryan, how does it change your dollar outlook and how is the USD looking from here? Thanks very much, Emer. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that has changed over the last couple of weeks is the immediacy of the risk around worst case scenario has been priced out of the market. You know, a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, the banking stress, uh, it was a very acute risk, but it was a very near term risk of contagion. Um, and, and concerns about wider contagion into uh, not just U.S. banking system, but the global banking system. What I think we've moved away from is the immediacy of that risk. And now certainly there's still risk that we could be seeing um, uh, additional issues down the road. I don't think anyone rules that out. But certainly the market is pricing away from that worst case scenario style pricing. But that near-term change is not the only thing that we think we, you should be considering when thinking about the dollar. You should also be thinking about the medium-term ramifications for what has happened, specifically on the regulatory and via the credit channel. So the possibility of tighter credit conditions, the possibility of lower business and consumer confidence, that comes from this episode. Um, even if the immediate risks feel like they have been pushed uh, to the back burner by the markets, those medium-term risks are still prevalent and there's still something that we think could be a negative for the dollar. We certainly heard the Federal Reserve talk about the possibility of credit tightening as maybe an offset for the need for additional tightening uh, from the Federal Reserve. And that's something that you know certainly rings true to us. We, you know, we think um, that the U.S. economy is likely to continue to, to moderate here um, and that economic data is likely to slow. And you know, frequent listeners of this podcast will know that we've been generally looking at the data in the U.S. that we've seen in early 2023 with a bit of a skeptical eye, thinking that maybe it's overstating uh, the strength of the U.S. economy, whether that be due to um, seasonal adjustment factors, weather factors, uh, and whatnot, sort of essentially thinking that the data may be overstating the risk that we're re-accelerating, that the economy is re-accelerating. Um, and that as you get away from some of the the early uh, months of the year, once you get into uh, warmer, more seasonal weather, uh, that some of that data was likely to slow anyway. Um, and now that risk feels a little bit more paramount when you add on top the potential risks that come from the medium term impacts of you know of financial market stress. So that's what I would stress here is that we've moved maybe away from the immediacy of these risks. But the medium-term implications for these risks, I think, are still there. And I think they're a bigger deal in the U.S. than they are in most other economies. You know, the U.S., you think about what the dollar dominance trend in 2022 was really about. A big part of that was U.S. growth exceptionalism, U.S. growth surging to the topside while a number of other economies were under downward pressure. Now, I think what you've seen is that the risks to growth from banking system stress um, as we move away from the immediate uh, sort of worst case scenario risk, that risk feels a bit more paramount, a bit more uh, significant for the U.S. from a medium term growth perspective, and can help narrow growth uh, growth expectations um, against the dollar and against the U.S. And so, 
still feel like the bearish case um, for the dollar is there. I'll make one last point here on the dollar, which is that as we've moved away from the immediate stress of, from the banking system, I do think it's right that economic data is going to become more important. So a few weeks ago, during the height of, uh, of market stress, one of the big takeaways was that data dependence might fall a little bit, that the market might look less at the individual data points and say, the overall economic outlook is under pressure and that the data looks a lot more backward looking, if that makes sense. That some of the data is no longer giving us a fresh look at what's going on because things were changing very rapidly in real time. As we've moved a bit away from that worst case scenario risk, I think the data becomes a bit more important here for the dollar. The market is pricing in several cuts by the Fed before the end of this year. Uh, but look, there is a risk that the data come in stronger. And certainly some of the hawkish Fed members have been trying to flap their wings recently on this point that they still have a job to do on inflation. So if you move away from this, as we move away from banking system stress becoming an immediate term front of mind risk, the data becomes perhaps a bit more important in terms of how we price the Fed. But at the end of the day, it feels like the the environment of the market constantly hawkishly repricing the Fed just because of the data alone, which is where we were in February before banking system stress, that feels like that period may be behind us now because some of the tightening we've seen on the credit uh, on the credit channel, and certainly we feel the rest of the data probably lean to the downside here after a very strong start to 2023. So Emer, I'll turn it back to you here. Would love to hear what you're thinking about emerging markets now that we seem to be, uh, we still we still have this banking system stress as a potential driver um, of concern, but it seems, I, as I mentioned, we seem to be moving away from that as an immediate term uh, concern. How are you feeling about emerging markets here? Yeah, I would say that on that, I think that I could be seen from this banking sector concern is actually being positive for EM assets, which is kind of completely counterintuitive. Um, you know, there was a risk that any kind of kind of volatile or adverse market risk sentiment could basically just draw global capital out of EM and really pull sharp depreciation, especially for those high beta EM currencies. But I think, you know, two things happen. I think the Fed came out very dubbish. And this is what emerging market central banks have been waiting for for so long was that but to kind of show its hand, to show that finally the end of this aggressive, you know, unprecedented tightening cycle is coming to an end. And then we had the reaction of uh, emerging market central banks. And, you know, they have kind of survived too many global financial crises. They came out very conservative, really kind of um, focused on the price. We had that, you know, in Hungary and Brazil. We had it in South Africa, where again and again, they effectively, you know, um, either continue to pause, delay the time when they were cut, or in South Africa's case, actually hiked more than expected. And they really kind of cited the risk of global capital outflow. They want appreciation of their currencies. Um, so I would say, you know, this is definitely an environment where if volatility continues to subside, um, if resentment continues to recover, that EM high carry, high quality currency should do well. And we definitely see that you know, in Paris, like Hungary foreign, like the Mexican peso, um, whereas high beta currencies have actually underperformed. So we are still optimistic. We're still looking for those kind of opportunist um, and uh, opportunist way to allocate capital. Um, 
and draw you on to a completely different side of the world, Brian. Uh, we had Dine Under to uh, Central Bank Supporting, so the Reserve Bank of Australia and New Zealand's uh, Central Bank. And they reacted in very different ways. <laughs> what drove uh, that policy discrepancy? Yeah, you're right. They took very different approaches to their monetary policy decisions this week. Um, just to, to recap, the Reserve Bank of Australia opted to pause its rate uh, tightening cycle at 3.6%, um, whereas the Reserve Bank of New Zealand actually hiked their policy rate more than expected. Uh, they delivered a 50 basis point rate hike against market expectations for a 25 basis point rate hike. And so these two central banks have been diverging for a while. The RBA has been relatively slow in terms of its tightening cycle relative to many of its peers uh, in G10, let alone emerging markets, where you know a lot of central bankers moved very, very rapidly in tightening. The RBA has been relatively reserved in its moves, and the RBNZ has been, uh, has been moving much faster. And that was really put on display this week. Um, the RBA cited the financial market instability and the concerns there in its decision to pause. But they also seem to stress pretty clearly that they believe that inflation has peaked here. Um, but their policy rate is quite low at the moment at 3.6%. Uh, it's among the lowest in the G10. Um, and that's something that could be, I think, an issue for the Australian currency going forward that, you know, the policy rate is still well below that of many of its commodity exporter peers, you know, including the RBNZ, which now has its policy rate above 5%. One of the big differences for the RBNZ was the impact of uh, Cyclone Gabriel, uh, excuse me, Gabrielle. Uh, and its impact on growth and inflation. And so normally when you think about the impact of natural disaster, you're thinking about the possibility of growth, weakness in the near term, and then a rebuilding effort in the, in the more medium term as something that could be a positive as you sort of move, as, as you rebuild. Uh, but one of the things that they mentioned very clearly was that they think inflation in the near term is probably going to be higher in New Zealand because of that rebuilding effort. Um, and that was something that they wanted to try and get ahead of by moving a little bit more aggressively here. The other thing I thought was fascinating, you know, we think about a lot of central banks in especially the G10 have been looking at recent financial market stress and been saying, do we need to be more dovish or do we need to sort of stay the course here? The Arabian Dead looked at it in a very different way. Now they're meeting in a different environment than the Fed was meeting, than the ECD was meeting. When it felt, as I've mentioned, the financial market stress felt a lot more immediate in terms of a risk. But what the RBNZ essentially said was, our growth outlook looks very similar, but interest rates in the market have fallen a lot. So interest rates, you know, wholesale interest rates in New Zealand have fallen because of financial market development. And they felt they needed to counteract that by moving their policy rate up a little bit more. And so you think about the way most central banks have been eyeing financial market stress as a risk, where the Fed is basically saying tightening of financial conditions is something that could require us to not have to do as much tightening. The RBNZ looked at it in a completely different way, essentially saying this financial market stress is something that doesn't impact us all that much. But one of the ways it has impacted them is via lower interest rates in their economy. And so that's an easing of financial conditions in their mind that they felt like they needed to counteract. So from an Australia versus New Zealand currency perspective, we've been anticipating some continued divergence between these economies, RBNZ more hawkish, RBA more dovish, as a driver for lower Australian dollar versus New Zealand dollar. And we certainly got an impulse uh, in that direction from these decisions. But I think it is really interesting to see how these two economies 
uh, these two institutions as well internalized these risks where the RBA, uh, their pause, you know, certainly conditional on economic conditions, that they made it very clear they could hike again if needed. But they saw financial market stress as an opportunity to move to the sidelines and pause and reflect. Whereas the RBNZ took a completely different approach and said, these stresses are something that loosened financial conditions for us in New Zealand. Uh, and we didn't think that was appropriate. And so they moved more aggressively. So really interesting distinction there between these two economies. Yeah, it's fascinating how, you know, two central banks, you just completely di differentially interpreted almost the same easing of global financial conditions. Um, I will draw you on one more uh, central bank in the G10 that is expected to announce next week, the Bank of Canada. How do you see it kind of responding to, you know, increasing concerns about a US slowdown, but also obviously um, banking sector concerns globally? Yeah, I think you mentioned the big important piece here, which is the US slowdown. You think about Canada, both geographically um, and economic exposure wise, the U.S. Uh, excuse me, Canada's exposure to the U.S. from a from a growth perspective is obviously very significant. And the Bank of Canada announced at their January meeting that they were likely to hold their policy rate unchanged, assuming no major uh, changes in economic conditions, so higher inflation or much stronger growth. And at their March meeting, they held to that guidance, um, essentially leaving their policy rate unchanged. And so, really, the question for the April meeting is whether things have improved significantly or inflation has surprised so much to the upside to force them to abandon their pause guidance. And I would say no in both cases. That number one, inflation has still shown signs of moderating in Canada. Obviously, that's very welcome news for the Bank of Canada. Signs that tightening of financial conditions, tightening of interest rates um, is feeding through to inflation. But then on the other side, you know, the concerns about financial market stress and the medium term impacts, which as I mentioned, feel more uh, feel potentially stronger as an influence for U.S. growth. That matters for Canada, even if their financial markets, uh, even if their financial system remains strong and resilient. And so, from that perspective, there is a growth kicker on the back of uh, of this stress that feels because it feels a you know more uh, more of a risk in the U.S. That matters for Canada, given it's a linked economy. So feels very likely to us that the Bank of Canada is going to retain its policy rate and retain its guidance uh, for a pause. But like all central banks, I think that pause is going to be very conditional. I think they'll be very open to the possibility that rates need to move higher. Uh, but I don't see a strong reason for them to deviate from this guidance, given inflation has continued to show signs of moderating and financial market stress and the potential medium term impacts on their largest trading partner, the U.S., has potential downside risk to growth uh, in the future. Yeah, all signs pointing in the same direction. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. And if you did like the podcast, please do click like and make sure you subscribe so you can get our latest episode first. Thanks again for joining me. Goodbye.